I'm Scott. This is Gavin. And I'm Craig. Hey guys, welcome to episode 80 of the Majors Mess Hall podcast. On this episode, we have got a really, really great guest, um, personal favourite of mine, uh, from one of my favourites, well, not even one of, my favourite all-time movie, Back to the Future 2 and 3. We've got Jeffrey Wiseman, who plays George McFly. Um, I, I, I still can't believe that we actually managed to get him. Me and Scott interviewed him the other day, and I mean, what a nice guy. Uh, just gave us so much of his time, and he was he was very informative about his work. Like he's worked with Clint Eastwood, and uh, I mean I'm getting excited already. So first of all, I'm with Scott and I'm with Craig. Hey, hello. And yeah, I'm just, I just still can't believe it. I mean, it was how good was that? Interview, the Scott? first one as well, isn't he? No, the first one. See, the first one is Crispin Glover, and then for the second, essentially, what happened is after the first film, rumor has it that Crispin wanted more money for the second and third film. Crispin says that that's not what happened and it, apparently he'd given his opinion on script development and stuff and they didn't like it, so he apparently, like, it, there was a bust up and he didn't come back, basically. So then they had to get another actor in. So they brought in Jeffrey and they used Crispin's face moulds from the first film on Jeffrey. Uh-huh. And that's why it looks like it's uh, Crispin in the movie, but it's actually not, it's Jeffrey. So when you see like old George hanging upside down in Back to the Future Part Two, that's that's Jeffrey playing George as Crispin, if that makes sense. Like it's, I mean, really good, really good job for Jeffrey. I mean, he had to play a character like another actor would play that character. Like it's, I mean, I don't even know how somebody could do that, but I mean, and and we even discussed that with them on, yeah. on the interview. Yeah, we do. Yeah, it's amazing. And just a little a little known fact as well is that. Um, when all that thing happened with Crispin, like they, you know, they took his face molds. Crispin actually sued them, and uh, it, it it changed Hollywood forever. So that now there's a stipulation that you cannot use another actor's face molds. You can't make another actor look like another actor anymore, all because of of Back to the Future, basically. But I mean, anyway, I mean, that was, he's worked with Clint Eastwood, man. He's he's been in uh, Pale Rider. Pale Rider is one of my favourite westerns by Clint Eastwood, and as a lot of you know, Clint Eastwood is my favourite actor. And uh, I mean, just talking to Jeffrey about working alongside him was amazing. He even tells a funny story, as you'll hear, you know, about Clinton. I, I, he says it so you can like, when he talks, you can visualize what he's saying. Yeah. You know, so the story he tells, you can easily see it in your head go down. So great guy, honestly, down to earth. Uh, didn't rush us, you know. We wanted like twenty minutes, and we got way more than that. Yeah, we, that's the thing. You see, we only ever ask for fifteen to twenty minutes is what we normally ask for, and if it's going well, we just kind of just let it go. And of course, this just went really well, and and we were we were verging on an hour. And I sent Scott a message and said we should wrap this up, man, because I always feel rude keeping people for anywhere's like close to an hour because I just think that's a long time. You know, it's free time for them. You know, they're giving you, so. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I'm just, I'm just still blown away that we got him on. Um, 
Yeah. So we're going to play that interview now, um, and then when we when we've played the interview, we'll have a little bit of a chat uh, afterwards. So um, without further ado, here is our interview with Jeffrey Wiseman. Tonight we are honored to have actor, producer, playwright Jeffrey Weisman. Uh, you may not recognize the name, but I guarantee you'll recognize the work that he's done, uh, such as Twilight Zone, the movie, Tail Rider with Clint Eastwood, Back to the Future 2 and 3, just to name a few. But before we get into that, how's things going, Jeffrey? Things are going great. How are you guys? Excellent. Not, not bad, not bad. So, uh... How did, how did you get in acting? We'll start off there. Oh, you know, I, I like um, anyone with with uh, an inkling. I was I kind of was born with uh, this hammy, hammy ham bone. Uh, you know, was always craving attention, and you know, even as a little baby in the high chair, my family would tell me that I I would do mischievous things at the table to get attention. Um, you know, I I just was always drawn to acting and. Uh, my parents n- knew a lot of people in the business and they didn't necessarily uh, have a great impression from them. Um, they wrote, they ran private clubs where they'd see a lot of famous actors who were even partners with my dad in some of the clubs. Um, they were always gambling and drinking and swearing and, you know, they didn't want me to grow up that way um, or, you know, have that as a, as a, a vocation in life. So they they kind of kept me from pursuing it uh, until I was on my own, and then they saw that I wasn't going to give up, and then they started supporting me more and you know helping me out with a little tuition uh, to go to acting school and such. Nice. Yeah. Did, did you uh, like find your inspiration? Because I know you. I've seen your uh, video on YouTube called Teamwork, where you portray an, an amazing Stan Laurel. Oh, fun! Thank you. And and I, honestly, I am a big fan of Laurel and Hardy and like all the old golden age slapstick comedy, because to me, there's no such thing nowadays as good as that. You know, like the images, it's been 70 years and it still makes people laugh. You, you know, I mean, do you find inspiration from comedic roles from that eras? Oh, yeah. You know, I uh, fell into playing Stan Laurel up at Universal Studios. If, if you went to Hollywood and visited Universal between 1987 and 2001 and you had your picture with Laurel and Hardy, I more than likely was the Stan Laurel because I was their first string Stan Lee and then their second string Charlie Chaplin and the second string Groucho. Um, but I, I was in between film and television work and I needed something and it just happened to be, you know, in my realm of uh, vocation in, in that it was it was you know acting uh, but uh, you know as a character and I didn't know that much about Stanley you know I'd seen some Laurel and Hardy films and loved them uh, but I didn't know very much about him in particular and when I started studying to get into the role after I got cast or hired uh, I'd learned you know what a genius what a hard-working genius he was and his legacy is just tremendous you know before he 
teamed with Oliver Hardy. I think he made a uh, guy. I want to say a hundred and some odd films at, at, on his own. Stan Laurel's Stan Laurel comedies wow. or in other films, and then you know so many more with Oliver Hardy teamed up. Probably another seventy or so. You know shorts and features, and uh, a lot of those early talkies. You know their their silence are absolutely amazing. Um, but people, for some reason, I, I'm not sure why, but silence are not nearly seen or respected as much as I think they should be uh, these days. But but when talkies came in, you know, Laurel Hardy were one of the few big acts that made it into talkies, the transition. But they, Hal Roach would have them do all their early shorts in other languages where they would do shoot the scene in English and then bring in the French speaking cast and shoot the same scene in French and then again with a Spanish speaking cast and shoot it in Spanish and maybe in German and maybe in Italian on some of the films. And Laurel and Hardy would still do their roles and read their lines translated into those languages phonetically on cue cards. Wow. So if you have, yeah. And every so often, uh, I'm not sure if it's, uh, you know, one of the cable networks that show old movies will do a Laurel Hardy festival and show specifically the Spanish versions, which Stan Laurel got freer reign. You know, Stan Lee liked to write, he'd like to direct, he'd like to set up the gags. Uh, and, and, you know, Hal Roach would only give him one credit. Um, but in the Spanish versions, Hal didn't want so much control and let Stan Lee kind of take over the reins. And Stan Lee's sort of twisted humor would come out more in the Spanish and other foreign language versions. So if you get a chance to see, say, the the Spanish version of Blotto next to the English version or some of the other shorts, uh, you, you'll be amazed. They're, they're incredibly fun, um, sometimes even more so than the English versions. You know, after seeing you do this this, this role, my, uh, my favorite Stan Laurel impersonator is Dick Van Dyke. I meant... But you, after seeing you, are, I'm going to say, just as good. I am uh, flattered. Thanks for saying that. I'm, uh, you know, that's, that's high praise. Dick is uh, amazing. And, and, you know, I, I got a guest spot on his show on Diagnosis Murder in the early 90s. I love that show. <laughs> Excellent. And, oh, you, you, might, you might have seen my episode. It's... Uh, Killing One Bird with Two Sloans, I think it's called, or something like that. Uh, and uh, Dick goes on this game show as a contestant to trap the uh, the murderer. And uh, I'm I'm his competition in the game show. Um, oh, wow. Really cool. Yeah, so, so a little, this is a fun story. Uh, back when I was studying uh, at the American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco, I went to a thrift store and I found an alpaca golf sweater, this kind of very 60s yellow, you know, knitted alpaca sweater, and it had the Dick Van Dyke label in it. And so I bought it, you know, for a dollar or whatever. And and uh, when I got the part guesting on the Diagnosis Murder episode, I brought it with me to the set. And one of the first things I did was find Dick's assistant, and I showed it to her. And she said, oh, can I show this to Dick? And I said, please, that's why I'm showing it to you. And so... She took it and uh, after a while brought it back. And then a few minutes later, Dick came out and found me. He said, you're the guy with the sweater? I said, yeah. And he goes, you know, I forgot completely that I had loaned my name to these people 
to use on their label for their sweaters back in 61 or two or whatever. And uh, I'm sure I've got some in the warehouse somewhere, but uh, it's good to see them again, you know, and that kind of broke, broke the ice. And I knew Dick was uh, good friends with Stan Laurel and his wife. And uh, that uh, kind of opened up the discussion. I, whenever Dick or, and or I were not on set shooting, we were back in our director's chairs chatting, you know, about Stan Laurel and his time with Buster Keaton and, his, you know, un, unshown footage from the comic. Uh, they, they shot a lot of silent stuff for that uh, Rob Reiner, um, I'm sorry, Carl Reiner directed film, the comic uh, that never has seen the light of day. And uh, anyway, Dick had all sorts of great stories. He's a terrific man. That, that's amazing. They, they've got a, a, a new movie coming out uh, based on Laurel and Hardy. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for it yet, but it, it looks amazing. It's like, uh, it's more of like a, like a, a biopic, but it, yeah, it I, uh, a friend friend of mine, uh, I think he's Scott. I think he's a Scott friend of mine, uh, Ross Owen, who's uh, one of the heads of the Laurel and Hardy Forum, uh, was a consultant on the film. So I, I've known about the film for a, a year or so, and seeing that John C. Riley playing Babe is, you know, I think that's great inspired casting. And now seeing the makeup and the bodysuit, you know, the fat suit and all, he's working it. It's making it really truthful. And it, it works. Um, he, even, he even has the voice nailed. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, you know, it's going to be controversial for the fans that idolize the, the boys, you know, how they were never. It, I don't think it ever came out in the press about them arguing and having fallouts and stuff. But, the, you know, they did from time to time. You know, yeah, well, everybody does. I mean, you know, it's. All friends fall out and argue. Oh, yeah. And they both had troubles in their private lives, you know, from time to time. Oliver Hardy was married several times. Stanley was married, what, five or six times, two or three times with the same woman. Uh, he was notoriously a uh, heavy drinker. Uh, uh, he got ran out of Beverly Hills for trying to bury his wife in the backyard on a, a drunk. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, I'm sure the film isn't going to go that deep, but you know, it'll come out just because you've got to have the dramatic element um, for good storytelling in a motion picture. So it'll be there. And I, I, I bet you it's done well. It looks like it should be finessed. Well, um, well the cast is amazing as well. I mean, like even uh, Steve Coogan, who plays Stan in that film. Steve Coogan yeah. is, is a really well-known name in the UK. And I've been a mm -hmm. fan of Steve's for years. And uh, I mean, just seeing that trailer, I know for a fact he's nailed it. Yeah, I, you know, I knew that Steve was up for it, so I stepped aside when they asked me to audition. <laughs> <laughs> I think if you had of, you'd have definitely got the role. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, perhaps. One of the cool things uh, for me personally is, you know, playing Stan Laurel, uh, I got to be friends with a lot of huge, important people to the Laurel and Hardy fandom, you know, from the late uh, Chuck McCann, who was one of the founders, to... Lois Laurel, um, you know, founders of the Sons of the Desert, the, the International Fan Club. And Lois Laurel, Stanley's daughter, uh, really uh, came into my uh, Stan Laurel portrayal life, life um, because she lived near Universal. And her husband, Tony Haas, uh, who was a really wonderful, wonderful uh, personality, who was the head of the Sons of the Desert, wanted to make sure that she approved of us. So uh, so I got to meet Lois and Tony 
and come over to their home. And in the backyard, they had what they called the museum, where they had all the props from that tour that the film depicts in, wow. in a little shed in the backyard. And uh, and they'd entertain there. And, and I got to go through some of Stanley's personal scrapbooks, which was a real honor. Wow. Uh, and they verified uh, the fezes that I have um, as being genuine from the from the movie. So a lot of cool stories uh, with with the playing of Stan Laurel over the years. That's incredible. So obviously you're, uh, I mean, to me, you're most well known for playing George McFly in Back to the Future Part 2 and 3, which are like my all-time favourite movies, especially Part 2. Like, I mean, I can't even begin to explain to you how like excited I am to just, to just have a chat with you about working on those movies because they're such a big part of my life. Well, um, you would be surprised how many people still don't, realize it's a different actor though in part two you know what? I, and i didn't for years like i genuinely didn't realize that it was a different actor i mean until i was like uh i don't know maybe 14 and then, and then i realized when i started to like i think i got, I got a, a vhs box set or something and I, I started to like actually pay attention to it and it was a little better quality than the one that my, my nana taped for me off tv <laughs> and uh yeah i mean i, I couldn't believe it at the time but you, you did a great job Thanks. You know, they, they were kind of cornered uh, at a, in a hard place when Crispin decided not to come back. And uh, but they had to have him. And I guess the only way to do that was with the makeup effects that they put me in. And then, of course, by them not paying Crispin for doing that, you know, it upset him and he came after them. So they paid him to go away, which was fine. Uh, so he got paid. Wow. Uh Many, 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 many times what I ever got paid for for my work. <laughs> that must have been, but that must have been incredibly difficult for you because, I mean, you're an actor, so you're used to playing characters, but you had to play that character like another actor had already established the role. So that must have been difficult because not only did you like, obviously they put you in the prosthetics, you know, you used uh, molds from his face. So not only did you have his face, but you also had to play it as Crispin played it. So that must have been difficult. And maybe even a little frustrating for you. Well, uh, you know, it wasn't that much different than putting together Stan Laurel or Charlie Chaplin or Groucho Marx. Is you find the rhythms, you find the posture, you find uh, all the nuance, all the different things, and hopefully the inner stuff that uh, feeds and uh, you know makes that truthful what you're doing. And then uh, a lot of the stuff I did as young George, seventeen-year-old uh, George, you know, fighting Biff out in the parking lot and kissing Lorraine on the dance floor and all that, uh, meeting Marty backstage. A lot of that was, you know, put in the background. I just needed to really come close to the essence of what he did. And then for old George, when they get to 2015, uh, they, you know, they didn't use me as much as I think I could have been used had I been a part of it earlier on. I, I think they were well into pre-production, almost into shooting, when they realized Kristen wasn't coming back. So uh, I don't think I was part of script readings or development of the character as much as, say, the other actors on the project. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that if you'd have been cast from, from the start, I, I think a lot of the story would have been different. I think they would have involved George's character a, a little more than he did, definitely. I, it's a hard one to call. I know that, example, in part three, uh, Crispin was supposed to play Seamus. And because I don't look like Crispin, 
it wouldn't have made too much sense to have me, a new actor, play play Seamus. So so give it to Michael as if he didn't have enough to do already. <laughs> exactly, he played many many roles. So was it like was it intimidating for you to start like shoot because you obviously weren't part of the first movie. So was it intimidating for you to join an already established cast for the second and third movies? Yeah, uh, yes and no. You know, I, uh, when in '83 I had worked with Crispin, in fact, on a film over at the American Film Institute, and I thought he was a fascinating actor. And when the first film uh, was shooting, I was shooting Pale Rider with Clint Eastwood. And when Back to the Future came out, I went to see it right away. And there was Crispin, who I knew, you know, and I was like, hey, I know that guy. He's he's knocking it out of the park. He's great. And as well, you know, the Fox and Christopher Lloyd uh, chemistry was unreal, as well as Leah's and, and uh, Tom's. You know, everyone did just an outstanding job in it. So I, I immediately fell in love with the film. The script was fantastic and broke a lot of rules and still worked and was just fun. It was so much fun. So then four years later, when they threw enough money at everyone to come back to reprise their roles. And I got the call to be, uh, Crispin's photo double. Um, I was excited because I was going to hopefully get some work to help make my medical coverage because my, my ex-wife was having our second kid and I needed the coverage and I needed the work (laughs) and it didn't matter that much to me that I wasn't probably going to be on camera. You know, I didn't know until really the 11th hour, that I even had the role. Um, I was always told I was going to be a photo double, and I imagined they needed George in more than one place at the same time or something like this, you know, and it was really kind of down to the wire before they even called my agents to negotiate to uh, say, you know, we want him as George. And uh, so it was awkward at first, you know, uh, especially when I came on the set in the young George makeup, you know, people looked at me like, uh oh. You know, what is this? You know, because I don't look that much like Crispin, really. But uh, in a long shot, it's the essence. And uh, after a while, you know, people started warming up to me. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm pinching myself the whole time I'm on the set because it's, it's like walking into a fantasy where you're really rubbing elbows with these great creative gifts that that whole cast is and, and Zemeckis and, and company. So it was really lovely to finally be embraced as a, a peer and and work side by side with everyone. And, and it is like a family we, when we get together for reunions at cons that'll have us in. You know, it's like seeing old friends, which is really terrific. Wow. You know, I got the script and, and read what we needed to do, what needed to be done for um, recreating those scenes and uh, and went to work. You know, there wasn't a lot of time to be starstruck. There wasn't a lot of time to, uh, you know, uh, mess around. It was it was very hard, concentrated, centered work and long, long hours because, you know, Michael was shooting the last season of Family Ties during the day and we'd have him all night or on the weekends. And some of those weekend shoots uh, were 22 or 26 hours straight. Um, so we were working very hard, Michael, you know, I was like, when do, when do you sleep, Michael? And he, he'd say in the limo in between the, the studios, you know, he, he was like a workaholic, but, but a great guy, you know, everyone actually was, was quite nice, uh, really lovely folk, um, being on that project. So what was the most difficult scenes that you had to film? Well, the, the 
recreation of of the fight with Biff was very specific, and you know, there's the stunts involved and and choreography. So that's that was challenging, uh, and hitting all the marks uh, at the Enchantment under the, under the Sea dance was challenging. But I have to say, you know, four hours of makeup and then being hung upside down for a couple of weeks. Uh, in 2015, as old George was was very challenging. <laughs> so why did they choose to hang you upside down? Was it so that it just took kind of took the you know the attention away from it being a different actor? Or well, it... you would think that, but it was. I think it was written that way well before I came on board. Uh, so I believe that was as one of the crew had told me uh, meant to torture Crispin. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, did you ever think? Uh... The trilogy would have the cult status that it has now. Uh, yeah, I did. I, I really thought that first film was so damn good. It was the top grossing film of 1985. Wow. And everyone, you know, everyone's Q rating, you know, their popularity is so high from all of Chris Lloyd's fantastic work in all the films, every roles he, all the roles he was doing during that period, for years, and Michael's Q rating is so high, and Leah's, and uh, Tom's work is so good that it was only, you know, inevitable that a sequel would be made, and they would really make sure it's a quality sequel. And you know, the first way that, the first draft, I think Bob Gale wrote Zemeckis throughout. He had uh, Marty going back to see George and Lorraine as hippies in the '60s, and. And there wasn't anything new. And so Zemeckis said, give me something, you know, more complex, more uh, dynamic, I guess. And having Marty have to return to where he is already in the 50s is a lot more compelling and a lot more fun and dangerous. You know, so immediately you're on the edge of your seat saying, how is he going to get through this? And then with the complication in part three with, you know, Doc being stuck in the past and all that, you know, and the tribute to the Westerns. Uh, it's just terrific stuff. And, and originally two and three were one film under the uh, one script called Paradox, in case you didn't know. No, I didn't and, know that. And I think they figured it's too much to put into one movie. Let's stretch it out and make it two films and we'll double our money, which they did. Smart. <laughs> So these these comic cons that that you do, and I've never been to a comic con, but I've always wanted to go. Like, what, what's what's that experience like? Because I know that you you travel pretty much. Wait a the minute, world. they've got, got comic cons up in Halifax. Oh yeah, they do. They do. I've I've just never been before. Like, and they got them in Chicago, and 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 uh, I've been I've been to them. I just he hasn't. Je- Jeffrey, I'm, you've never been I'm, on the you've never been on the list, Jeffrey. So I've had no reason to go. Well, well, get me on that list. Um, <laughs> I've got a, a a friend who's uh, repping me up there. I I, I should uh, give you her number so you guys can like uh, form a, a little you know request uh, posse. Please do, please do, because I seriously will do it. I'll do it definitely. Cool. All right. We'll we'll, we'll, talk. we'll talk. I have known you long enough. I can call you babe. Can I? Listen, babe. Your money, I'm money. Together, we're lots of money. <laughs> uh, so comic cons are, are a blast. I, you know, I'm, I kind of pinch myself that people will actually give me money to sign their item or or a picture. Um, that's it's pretty surreal for me. But at the same time, 
I'm filling like a little memory, I think, for them. They associate, you know, seeing the films that I've been in for times in their life that they cherish or or hate or I don't know. And, and, uh, you know, they, they like having the connection there. And I'm a people person. I love finding out about people and their cultures wherever I am. And uh, it pays off. You know, I have I have this really lovely fan base around the world. Um, and and it's uh, it's thrilling for me because I, you know, love seeing cosplay. The cosplay that I've witnessed is just off the hook. Every con I've gone to, I've, you know, whether it's just some homemade uh scatterbrain thing that someone in earnest is wearing to some elaborate professionally months long uh you know integrated with lights and and fixtures and so on and so forth and recordings you know these creatures are often just so fantastic so i have this this uh huge collection of me with uh cosplayers uh in my in my little portfolio that i, I should post someday <laughs> that's awesome I'm actually for Halloween this year me and my son he's only 18 months old but like I'm going as Marty and he's going to go as Doc so we, we got him a little Doc costume off the internet and I've turned his little cart into a DeLorean no. time machine so <laughs> he's going to be the tiniest Doc ever huh yeah and you know what as well <laughs> most little kids at that age will not entertain the idea of wearing anything on their head but this kid loves hats so he's totally fine with the wig and the little goggles that go on top of it, like he's totally chill with the whole thing. So I, oh, I just can't wait to do it. I'm so ex- this is all an excuse for me to dress as Marty, but I just can't wait to take him out and around. It's going to be so much fun. I'm going to send you a picture. I have uh, I had it as my my Facebook personal page profile until just recently of me with with a little teeny tiny Doc Brown on a hoverboard, and I'll <laughs> I'll, I'll send you that so you can use it as inspiration uh, to your your kid. Oh, that'll be awesome. <laughs> that'll be fantastic. <laughs> Uh, and another good reason uh, or that I love uh, doing the cons uh, is that I get to rub elbows and, and spend time with my heroes. You know, I, I don't know that I, I would ever have met Leonard Nimoy or, or Sir Derek Jacobi or, you know, some of these fantastic talents that, that I love um, had I not been invited to some of these cons and, and getting to hang out with them in the green room and tell stories and and feel like we're peers, you know, for a brief instant is is just thrilling for me. Now, before Back to the Future, your first movie was Twilight Zone, the movie? Uh, I had worked on uh, a handful of films in the late 70s, uh, mostly doing background work um, because I just needed to be on movie sets and okay. movie studios. And, and so I was in this pool of talent that would do crowd scenes. So I was in crowd scenes in films like FM and I, and Zemeckis first film, I want to hold your hand. Uh, and in, uh, the Rose with Bette Midler. Uh, oh, and then okay. I got, got picked and brainwashed, uh, by Alice Cooper in Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band with Peter Frampton and the Bee Gees. And, oh. uh, <laughs> you know, it was, uh, it was exciting to be on these sets and, and, and to meet some of the stars and such. But ultimately, it was not very rewarding as an actor. And uh, and to get there, I needed to get the training. So I took a few years to really train uh, uh, my instrument, you know, for performance on, on stage and in film. And 
I fell into an opportunity to screen test for a lead in a motion picture while I was training uh, up in the Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area, going to the American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco State. I, uh, I went to an open call and got a screen test for Martin Brest, who was directing at that time a film called The Genius, which later got renamed to War Games. And uh, Broadway. Yeah. So Matthew ended up getting that role. The day I tested with Ali Sheedy, they were also looking at uh, Eric Stoltz and Dana Carvey and John Stockwell and a, a Brian Backer, a few other uh, really great talents. And none of us got it. Uh, it went to Matthew. And, and in fact, Matthew, uh, Martin, the original director, was replaced by John Batham because Martin, I think, wanted to make a much more serious, heavy, darker film, whereas uh, I think the studio wanted a lighter romp type film that War Games became. And then a year later, I was on my way to test for the lead in Lady Hawk uh, when the test was actually called off at the last minute because Matthew came down in his price. Oh. <laughs> I was like, Matthew. <laughs> Thanks, Matthew. I, I, wait, I need a job. But, I, you know, I worked <laughs> a lot of very nice roles. Uh, you know, My Science Project and Revenge of the Nerds and a lot of, a lot of uh, classic 80s films. That I, for one reason or another, you know, I went down the line on the creator and uh, my tutor, you know, all these different films and and didn't get them. I finally uh, there in 82 had a very nice meeting with George Miller, the director of the Mad Max movies. And right. he uh, had been talked into by Spielberg and company in continuing and completing the Twilight Zone movie about three months after the terrible accident. And, and Miller and I got along well, and he gave me a little tiny support role in his segment on the airplane with John Lithgow, uh, with uh, Larry Cedar as the monster tearing up the airplane on the wing, uh, <laughs> the remake of Nightmare at 30,000 feet. Right. So that was my first, I guess, co-star role. And then from there, uh, did a day or two... <laughs> on a Louis Maul film called Crackers with Sean Penn and Donald Sutherland and Wallace Shawn and uh, good, uh, though my part was mostly cut. Um, let's see, what did I work on next? I think Johnny Dangerously, Amy Heckerling directed with Michael Keaton. Episcopal, right? Uh, or, yeah, no, and Joe's a sweetheart. I, I made a special effort to uh, chat with Joe and I spent a, an hour or so in his dressing room just chatting up about Hollywood and him and his career and stuff. He was a great guy. Uh, and Michael was real sweet. That was a fun fun film to work on. Uh, though it was a little teeny tiny flash in the pan part. Uh, and then, you know, I did some television in there. I don't know if you guys uh, get Max Headroom, the series. or Loved uh, it. <laughs> yeah, I, I had a little tiny bit on that and, and on Dallas and then uh, Scare Scarecrow and Mrs. King was a guest spot that, that got really highly rated, um, where I got kidnapped real good in that one. Uh, <laughs> and then Bill Rider, you know, about the same time, scored uh, co-starring uh, on Clint Eastwood's Return to Westerns. They, they've been trying to get him to do a, another Western for like 10 years. And he finally came back with Pale Rider. I'm a massive, massive Clint Eastwood fan. I've got a tattoo of, of him on my arm. And, like, I'm just obsessed with him. So I've got to ask, what was it like to be directed by Clint Eastwood? Oh, Clint would love that. You you have to show him your tattoo. Well, you know, no, no, my, my wife, for, for my birth, actually, no, it was for Christmas a few years ago. She sent a photograph of my tattoo down to his management. 
uh, with a letter explaining, you know, my husband's a massive fan. And he signed the photo and sent it back. Yeah. So I've actually got the, the, the photo signed I, on the wall. So I told you he'd like that, yeah. That's yeah. a nice man. He's a gentleman. He, um, you know, he wasn't there at my audition. I was uh, taped by the producer at my audition, and, and I had to do the scene where I'm, my character, Teddy, is crying over his daddy's dead body. Oh, yeah, yeah. And doing the lines that actually later went to Eddie, that Chuck did. Um, and and I had everything working for me. As an actor, you know, you have tricks that you use to make sure you can cry on cue, or, you know, sometimes it's just there if you're really believing, and other times you have to use a something that'll trigger it. Uh, you know, and I wasn't going to let anything go to chance. I had a lock of my grandmother's hair, and I had... Uh, this fantasy charging stuff of using my real father and, you know, all, all these different techniques. And, and luckily, I didn't really need any of them. I was right in it as soon as the camera was rolling and, and the tears came pretty easily and stuff. So I, so I got cast and when I finally got on set in uh, Sun Valley, Ketchum, uh, Idaho, t- shooting, uh, I knew my first scene on camera was coming up and Clint went off to scout the next shot you know, he directed it as well. And uh, while they were lighting our scene or my, my scene and I followed Clint down into the woods where he was going to do the next shot. And, uh, it was just him and I, and he turned to me and he's in his, you know, duster and the hat and everything. So he can step in when he's needed. (laughs) And, and he goes, yes. And I go, um, Mr. Easter, I just wanted to introduce myself. My name is Jeffrey Weissman. I'm in the next shot. And he goes, I know who you are. Who do you think cast you? You know, and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, of course, of course, yeah. I, I was just, I, we, we just haven't met yet, you know. And shook his hand, and off, off to work we went. But uh, you know, his his aura, his persona, uh, that mystique is very uh, kind of intimidating. You know, it's it, you know, here you're with this legend, and then after a while. You know, you have lunch with him a few times and you're telling jokes or you're in the middle of a blizzard when it shouldn't be snowing and and in, enjoying the the company. And, you know, he's just a regular guy who he wipes his butt just like you and me. Well, probably <laughs> differently. No, he probably wipes his butt. <laughs> oh, I, I can't go there. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was a great movie. That was, I mean, we, had, we just rewatched it, me and my wife, last week and, uh, oh, right. and pr- in preparation to obviously talking to you and... Yeah, it's Did just you a great. On a, a, a big screen. Yeah, sixteen TV. Good, good. Because uh, the Bruce Surti is the the cinematographer. You know, he. I I'm not sure if it was him, but someone talked Clint in the studio into building that that new town on the top of a mountain, which was totally exposed. So wherever Bruce set his camera, he had these panoramic vistas with the White Cloud Mountains or the Salmon River Mountains or the Sawtooth Mountains in the background that were breathtaking. That it was gorgeous, gorgeous yeah. uh, scenery up there. One of my questions was to ask you where it was filmed, but you said it was Idaho, did you say? Yeah, Ketchum uh, in the uh, National Forest up there outside of Ketchum, Sun Valley, Idaho. Yeah. Uh, and it, and it, it, we were exposed to the elements. It was the coldest shoot I've ever been on. I don't think with the wind chill factor, it ever got above 10 below. You know, it was freezing all the time. So that, that snow was real then, was it? Uh, some of it. Um, you know, the scene where Daddy, where Spider gets shot from head to toe? Yeah. Uh, if you look closely, uh, 
uh, brother and I over in the, at the mercantile when we start shouting, Daddy, you know, yeah. and, and Blankenship is holding his back. We're in a blizzard. If you look closely, it's snowing pretty fiercely and, and dark. When it goes back to Daddy uh, facing off the bad guys and doing the dance with his booze and all, um, he's in sunshine. Um, so it, it took us three days to actually cover that whole scene. Wow. So to give you an idea, you know, and that scene is only, what, two minutes long or something? But uh, but it took us three days to shoot it because there's so much coverage. You had to shoot all the deputies coming out. You shoot Doug as, as Spider, you know, calling them out. And, and then every time he got shot, uh, he'd have to go change and get rewired up, you know, and, and they, they would shoot the bullets piercing his, his shoes and his body and then the one between the eyes and all that. And, the you know, there's a lot of special effects there, a lot of long hours with costume changes and a lot of coverage over at the, the mercantile. And by the time we got over to Daddy's dead body from the mercantile, um, the snow from the blizzard had melted already. And so they brought in that day, on the third day, uh, the oil-based uh, fake snow. And ah. so when you see brother and I crying over his body and Blankenship is coming in, walking towards us to get us out of the, the snow. If you look real closely, the wind picks up the snow and it blows away in chunks. And so <laughs> it doesn't act like that. It's like a, a big piece of foam just blew yeah. by. I'm going to have to rewatch and, it. Well, it's also a credit to the editor. I mean, the editor cut that scene so brilliantly, no one really catches that often that oh he's in sunshine there's no snow there and here is there's snow and they're in a blizzard and it's all tied together i, I gotta ask i gotta ask uh to take it back to the twilight zone movie now with the tragic death of vic morrow in in that that scene with the two kids and, and then and then and then you came in a couple months later or a couple weeks did uh, that, three, about three months later, yeah, they decided to continue it. Was that like hanging over the the cast, you know? Yeah, yes and no. Uh, th that horrible tragedy hung over all of Hollywood for actually years. I mean, that was wow. that was a just a horrific, unnecessary accident that uh, should have never happened, and uh, and it hung like a dark cloud over uh, Hollywood for a long time. And, uh, you know, I, I thought it was in bad taste for Spielberg to decide to continue with the film, but, uh, but he did. And in the long run, you know, I, I'm glad he did as um, a way to, you know, rather than kill uh, a really wonderful project, because there was, there was a lot of great stuff in, in Vic's segment, as, as, as bad taste it was to, to keep it. Uh, there was some great stuff in George Miller's the segment that I'm in, and that that intro and and outro that Dan Aykroyd and and um, oh god, what's his name? Um, Albert Brooks. Yeah, Albert Brooks. Yeah, yeah. that stuff that uh, Albert Brooks and Dan Aykroyd did was fantastic and hilarious. Um, you know, the so I think it was a flawed film in many ways, but Joe Dante's segment was great. Uh, the kick the can segment was was fun scatman crothers and i had a blast at the the, the rap party um so over george miller's segment which i was in the cloud wasn't it wasn't a dark set in that 
uh, I don't think anyone really discussed the accident or uh, we just uh, wanted to do the task at hand, which was to tell that story and bring it to life. And George attracted such respect and cast such a great ensemble. J.D. Johnson as the co-pilot and Donna Dixon and, and Abby Lane as the stewardesses. Uh, and the ensemble with the passengers, a lot of really fun talent in there. Charles Knapp is the the detective and the little girl with the with the doll. The, you know the uh, the work was condensed and and uh, really concentrated. Uh, I got really sick while we were shooting, so when I fly now, you know, even though we were on a fuselage in a fake storm, I really kind of had some sort of s- uh, grounded sick thing going on when I got. Uh, scratched by a cat while I was shooting the film one night um, uh-huh. and I de- developed cat scratch fever. I had blood poisoning. Wow. So, so I was on a lot of meds while we were shooting and that kind of stuck with me and I have never flown that well since. I mean, I'll still fly, but I have to kind of be knocked out. <laughs> <laughs> you do a great deal of theater work and all that. Do you prefer to do theater where you get to interact with people more and you get a faster like uh how you did you know feedback than big or do you like doing big screen more it's really hard to say which i like more i love them both i love live theater i do even living history where or environmental work where i'm like recently i was playing mark twain uh up in the gold country where he wrote the uh, area where he wrote the jumping frog story that made him famous and uh, working staying in character in an environment is such a thrill because you uh, I'm uh, uh, I like education and I love enlightening and doing that uh, you know living history is one way of doing that I love the instant gratification of applause and praise from doing live theater you know recently I was in a stage version of the Fisher King playing the Robin Williams role. And wow. I worked so hard on that stage play, so hard on that role, and I didn't want to do Robin. And yet some of the time there was no controlling uh, these things that came out that were like, came out like Robin. And, and often I went beyond Robin, which was really rewarding. Uh, and then shortly before that playing uh, Igor, um, in the musical version of Young Frankenstein, um, which was a gas and, you know, very challenging for this old guy. I'm almost 60 next week um, wow. to to sing and dance in 12 numbers, you know. <laughs> um, but I loved it, you know, and and I, I love Marty Feldman. I had, when I was 14, uh, heard that Mel Brooks was shooting in the neighborhood where I was going to school in Santa Monica and eventually I found the extras walking around in Victorian evening clothes and one guy struck up a conversation with whose mustache was coming off. I said, sir, your mustache is coming off. Is it? Who are you? And I, I told him I'm an actor. And he said, what have you done? And I told him what shows I've been doing in school and community theater. And he said, you want to meet Mel? And he took me right to the set where they were shooting Putting on the Ritz. And the first person, <laughs> first person I met was Marty Feldman, who... Uh, I was impressed because uh, he was carrying a, a man bag. He was wearing a purse, and and I carried a man bag. You know, so it, it's come full circle. Uh, but uh, it, it's it's uh, I, I love doing live theater. I love doing improvisation. I, I've been in many improv groups. That that is, you know, flying without a net. 
because you have no script and you're trusting your instincts and the creative universe and the support of your fellow players to to get you through and and you always live no matter how bad it can be you always live uh and and that i also love doing film when when everything's going right on film you know your audience is there it's just the crew and the camera but uh you can feel when a take is right i had a partner in an unreleased film called uh, to protect and to serve where i played this character who um has, has been pulled over by a cop who's seen this my character pick up this prostitute and uh, the cop gets my character out of the car and pulls a fast one on me uh, talks my character into believing that the prostitute's a transsexual and it <laughs> physically physically upsets my character so much that i vomit and on the third take when i vomited into this yard in front of this house we were shooting at this out of nowhere this little dalmatian puppy came over and started licking up the vomit <laughs> and you know i used it was it was a special effect it was you know cream of chicken soup or whatever i was using <laughs> i was very easily able to conceal and i knew the dog wasn't being poisoned by my stomach acids um but i knew that that take was going to be perfect because this was a dark comedy. It was a black comedy. And that was like the button on the scene. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and so for, for months I was calling the director saying, uh, how was that third take? How was that third take? And sure enough, he used that third take and it was a showstopper. You know, you can feel when something great like that is happening. And, and I've been fortunate in several films that I've worked on to be able to find those moments and find those takes one film, a director, uh, called cut when a very happy accident happened. I was playing a character where, uh, um, he's not comfortable in his own skin unless he's made up as a clown. And, uh, <laughs> he alienates, alienates his family. His wife leaves him and all this, but his daughter wants him to walk her down the aisle at her wedding and, but not as a clown. And, and, uh, make a long story short, he, she finally gives in and, when she's going off to the altar, she kisses him on the cheek and comes away with a bunch of his makeup on. And that's when the director said, cut, no, no. And I said, no, Dave, Dave, hold on here. Come with me. And we walked for a little bit. I said, don't, don't you see that this is magic? This is really a great, wonderful, golden opportunity. Please, please shoot it with the makeup on her face. And he, go, and he came back and he said, all right, we're going to shoot it both ways. One without that happening and one with it happening. And then... The one when she came away with the makeup on her face and then she kissed the groom and the groom came away with makeup on his face. It was like a passing of a blessing from the clown father. <laughs> That's great. And, and he kept it in the film and it's a precious, wonderful moment, you know. And so those happy accidents are, you know, rare and far between. But when they happen, the, the skies uh, open and, and, and the universe smiles. So if you could pick one role that you've done since day one as your favorite which would it be wow i you know i've always wanted to play iago <laughs> um i <laughs> i don't know that i can pick one favorite there's so many elements of the many roles i've been fortunate to play that i've loved uh, and i can't say one in particular you know people probably want to say want me to say, oh, Back to the Future was my favorite role. But that wasn't uh, an opportunity for me to really sink my teeth into something heavy, dramatic, and comedic, yeah. which I love doing. 
Uh, I recently played a, a depressed widower with epilepsy in a, a little independent film that I worked my ass off. And uh, I had to have a grand mal seizure. I have during in the middle of a love making scene. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I had a challenge on that. And I really <laughs> tried, tried to finesse that role and tried to keep everything honest and truthful. And and even in one scene that where it wasn't scripted, uh, where this, this character befriends this adolescent girl who's being uh, abused in the foster care system and raped by the local gang. And and she's looking at my character as her, her savior. And he has to push her, push her away. And as soon as he does, I flew back and went into a grand mal seizure. And it was not scripted, but it was right. And the director and cameraman were uh, on it enough to follow me. And it's a very potent moment in the film. Uh, you know, so it's it's finding finding the opportunities to bring a story even deeper than it is. You know, to use the script as a jumping off place. I love doing that, and and I have been able to do it in a few films. One cult film I'm in called Corked. It's a mockumentary about life in the wine world. I was able to come up with like 30% more of my part in the script just by improvising and bringing ideas to the set that the directors were mostly open to. Nice. I teach this stuff to uh, aspiring actors. So those listeners that uh, want to get more out of me, uh, you know, email me through my website and uh, let's talk. I can do Skype uh, coaching. There you are. Wow, that, I, that's amazing. I give myself a plug for some uh, acting coaching. <laughs> exactly. Now, before we wrap it up, I got one question to ask. We ask every guest that we have on our show, and it's it's a little off the tr- it's a little off the track. You so want me to bear with me? No, no, no. <laughs> what is your favorite kind of pizza? What is the perfect pizza? <laughs> oh wow. Uh, uh, I kind of I I like I like a thin crust. Uh, I like a a lot of cheese. I like a, a medium tomato sauce marinara, and I like the I, I mostly like mushroom, black olive, uh, sausage, maybe pepperoni. Uh, yeah, that, that, I like that. But all that's awesome. Have, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll eat any kind of pizza. I'll even eat, you know, Canadian bacon and pineapple. Have you tried chicken and sweet corn? Ooh, that sounds good. I've had barbecue chicken pizza. I don't think I've had sweet corn on it. Actually, barbecue chicken and sweet corn pizza is fantastic. And I don't know why North America don't use corn on pizzas. I, I don't get it. It's a staple in the UK. And, <laughs> and it's my favorite kind of pizza. And living here in Nova Scotia, I can't bloody get it. So I have to wait now until I go back home. And before I even land, I text me mom and I say, listen, I need you to get me a chicken and sweet corn pizza on, up on arrival. <laughs> but, but you can make it yourself. Yeah, it's not the same, though. No. You know, my oh. wife said that. She said, just order one, order what you want. And then when it comes, just throw some, some corn on it and just stick it under the grill for like a minute. And I'm like, yeah, we'll ruin it. It won't be the same. Oh, no. don't tell don't tell wifey that. No, wifey won't like you telling her that. I've asked a few, I've actually called a few pizza places and, and I've actually asked on the phone because I've seen that they do salads and I've seen that the corn is one of the options for the salad and I've said, "Can you put that on the pizza?" and he won't do it. Like, why? What's the, why is that? Just make the pizza, make the chicken pizza, and right before you throw it on in the oven, chuck a handful of corn on top. No, they won't do it. Oh, uh, winker. 
Yeah, um, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's funny, I got a pizza guy outside. Uh, yeah, he's going to come up my driveway. He thinks I ordered pizza and I didn't. Well, I should go out and tell this guy I didn't order a pizza unless you guys ordered me a pizza. No. <laughs> yeah, he's coming to the door. Um, I should go get this, you guys. Hey, real fast, man. Like I said, we really appreciate you taking the time to, to come on with us. I, I mean, it's been an honor, like I said, at the top of the show. And uh, happy early birthday. Hey, thank you very much. And uh, let me let me know when you're going to post so I can share on my social media. And uh, and I'll email you if um, you send me an email. Um, I'll email you any photos that you want for the stuff we've talked about. And, Excellent. You know, yeah, that will be fantastic. A picture, of, a picture of Dick Dick Van Dyke and I doing our Stan Laurel impression together. Wow, um, that'll be amazing to see, seriously. And I'll yeah. send you you know, my, my handles for my d- different social media. Yeah. So what, what is that by the way? So our, our listeners can find you if they want to. Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, Twitter is, uh, Jeff Weissman, J E F W E I S S M A N at Jeff Weissman. And, uh, Instagram is Jeffrey J Weissman. And then, uh, Jeffrey is my website, which needs updating. If anyone out there can help me, I appreciate it. Uh, and then, um, what am I forgetting? Oh, yes, I have a Jeffrey Weissman Facebook fan page. My personal page is up to five grand, which is their limit. Uh, so <laughs> please follow my fan page. Excellent. That, Jeffrey, seriously, thank you so much. This has been like a, a dream come true for me. It genuinely has. I've never met anybody or spoke to anyone that's worked on a film before. So this is like a, a little bit of a bucket list thing for me. So thanks so much for coming on. It means the world to me. Oh, sure, and hopefully I'll be at a Comic-Con up in Nova Scotia before you know it. Yeah, I'm going to work on that. I'm going to get you here. <laughs> Beautiful, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thank man. Thank you, too. You have a nice night. You too. Bye-bye. Man, Jeffrey is just a great guy. We hope you enjoyed that interview as much as we did you know, giving the questions to him. And as I said earlier, great guy. I really enjoyed talking to him. You know, and he talks about going to the Comic-Cons as well. So, like, if anybody um, ever gets a chance to meet him, let him know that you heard him on our podcast and uh, and make sure you go and get a photograph with him as well and uh, get something signed. I mean, he's just got all the time in the world for the fans. So, I mean, I'm hoping, you know, maybe one day he'll come to Halifax because that'll be amazing to meet him in person. Well, he's going to give you his contact, and uh, maybe you could be the the reason that he comes to Halifax. I mean, honestly, I I travel like I'd, I'd even go to Toronto to meet him, and you know, all the parts of Canada as well. In fact, talking to Toronto that brings me on to a very important topic. Um, unfortunately, and it is my fault, uh, the <laughs> the Toronto trip is on hold. So essentially, it's it's uh, it's. I don't like using the word, but it's cancelled for now. And essentially what it is, is we can't make any official announcements yet, but there is an event that me and Scott have been asked to to partake in in April of next year. And um, it's for the podcast. And it's a a big deal for us. It's a couple of days. And everybody will be able to come and meet us there in Chicago. So, you know, if you were planning... On traveling from Chicago to Toronto, it's it's going to be easier for you if you want to come and meet me and Scott because we'll be right there. Obviously, Craig won't be there, but um, yeah, it's it, basically what it is is I can't do both things because of time off work and stuff. It's it's going to be too tough for me to get time off to go 
to uh, Chicago in April and then Toronto at the end of June. It's just it's going to be too much. So I, I've had to do what's best for the show, and I'm glad I've done it now and not before people have started booking the tickets and stuff. Uh, I do apologise if I've disappointed any of you. Um, it's nothing to do with Scott at all. You know, Scott Scott would have still obviously Scott lives in Chicago, but Scott would have made it to uh, Toronto either way um, if I'd have done both. But yeah, so I apologise. In the event we're talking about, like Gavin said, we're not going into great details, but it will be held in Indianapolis. Uh, so it's like way closer than Toronto for, for most of our listeners, you know, and, and for our listeners in Toronto area, we're not forgetting about you. This is just on hold and, uh, somewhere down the road, we will all meet up. Exactly. Uh, I'm trying to think what else I've got there's a couple of things on the list but one of them I don't know if we're going to try today like it's what would you do but it's like a like a set the scene kind of thing and it was and it was for Craig so Craig like I was talking to Scott earlier and I want to start doing like these improvisation things where like it's a bit it's it's basically what would you do but like we acted out a little bit so like you know instead of me saying like what would you do if if, uh, this girl said you did this so it would be me playing the girl Instead of me asking you what you'd do, I'd tell you what's happening first, and then I'd and then you'd have to like act. So you'd be you'd be yourself, but you'd talk to me like I was someone else. Do you know what I mean? Mm. <laughs> no, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you reckon you could do that? I know it's out of our comfort zone, but I really think our listeners would love it. I think they'd really enjoy it. I don't know. I don't think I'll be myself because. I'm talking through a mic, and I know it's you. Yeah, I don't know, but like you do. We, well, I think we should give it a go. We don't have to do it right now, but I do think we should try it because I know me and Scott could do it. And I actually think you'd get into it as well. There to, uh, doing a girl's voice. No, it wouldn't be a girl. I'd probably put like an effect on it in editing, so making me voice go higher. But it would just be me, uh. basically. But you just have to think about what you're doing in the situation. Daddy, yeah. Mm. Let, let let me and Scott do a quick one now and see. Let's see if you can see how it works. Totally unplanned. Yeah. I've got a question for you. What would you do? And I think that she has one too. What would you do? I'd like to know how you handle this. What would you do? You must think I'm taking the piss. What would you do? Okay. So so the scenario is Scott. Um, you are. At work, but not your job, just a, a, like an office job or something. And uh, there's a rumour going around that apparently um, Natalie, who works there, is accusing you of pinching her on the arse. She's saying you've pinched her on the arse. And uh, everyone's a bit annoyed, pissed off with you because they've believed what she said. And apparently, like, she's talking about going to the boss and complaining. Wait, so we're going to scenario out Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> <laughs> so... So that's the scenario. Now, the scene now is uh, we're in the cafeteria at work and uh, she's sitting on her own. So the, the uh, universal question, what would you do? So it's you and I? Yeah, you and Kimberly. Right. You and, not Kimberly, you and uh, Natalie. All right, and, and you? No, I'm not there, just you and her. There's other people in there as well, but she's sitting on a table on her own. So it's a prime opportunity to go and speak to her about what's going on. All right, so you're Natalie? Yeah. And I'll be Tom? No, you're you. Oh, well, 
they and it ain't acting. <laughs> Who's to- no? You're you. This is what would you do? Not what what would fucking Tom do? All right, right, right. So, uh, okay. Hey, uh, hey, uh, Natalie. Get away from me now! I'll call, please. No, no. I think we need to. I think we need to talk. But you pervert. No, it didn't happen like you thought it did. Well, what happened then? Dirty bastard. You, you, you know, no, no. We were waiting to punch in on the clock, and and you know everybody's waiting in line and scrunched up and all that. And Bob from retail, he accidentally bumped into me, and it caused me to like smack you on the ass. You didn't smack me though. You pinched me buttock. No, it didn't go down like that. It did go down like that. It didn't, and and I I tried to apologize, and you, you slapped me. Well, you're getting written up tomorrow because I'm going. I'm gonna go and talk to the boss. No, 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 don't. You're just one big pervert with your big beard. Look, no. Yeah, look, here's Brian now. Brian, Brian, no. help me, Brian, help! Come over. What's going on here now? Oh, what are you God. doing here? I'm trying to apologize. Trying to cop another feel, are you? You pervert. So anyway, it's the same between you and me. It's between Natalie and I. <laughs> You're supposed to be calming this down. It's getting fucking more irate. Fucking, I got my fists all clenched. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Craig, see what I mean? Yeah. Although at the, at, during the beginning of the conversation, you did sound guilty because you, you just kept stopping. <laughs> Well, because I got falsely accused. So that was that. Yeah. Craig, should we try one with you now? I'm going to be asked. Let's just try one really quick. Okay. Yeah? Uh, All right. So so this is the scene. I'm making this up off the top of my head. You're on the bus, right? Mm-hmm. There's a little kid crying his eyes out, sitting next to a scary man. Scott, you're the scary man. Um, and he, wait, 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 wait. Why is this all about sexual predators? No, no, no. I didn't see. I didn't mention sexual. You took that there, right? Okay. And this little kid is sitting on the bus. Okay, so you're sitting behind the kid and the scary man. Okay. Okay. All right. Here we go. Excuse me, mate. I'm scared. Can you help me? What's up? This, this is me uncle, me uncle John, and uh, he's taking me away from me mum. Oh, okay. What, what, uh, can you help me then? Hey, Steve, Stevie, don't don't talk to strangers. I, I, I'm just asking him if he's got the time. Just turn around and mind your own business right now. I, I, I need to know if he's got the time. Don't hit me again. I'm not going to hit you. What are you talking about? Can you Can you help me, please, mate? Is uh, everything, everything okay there, mate? Yeah, everything's great. No, it's not. I, I, he's stealing me away. I need you I to... See. Turn around. Leave the man alone. He's trying to, like, enjoy the bus ride. I don't want to sit with him anymore. He stinks of fish. <laughs> You're the one that wanted fish and chips for lunch. Now turn around. Can, can I sit with you, mate, please? I need help. Oh, let me go and get the bus driver. Why are you going to get the bus driver? Just, just, everybody just relax. He's drunk. Can't, can't you smell? He, st- he stinks of uh, Jack Daniels and salmon. <laughs> it's not funny, mate. Please don't laugh. I need help. 
Stevie, I'm going to tell you one more time. Turn around and and just leave the man alone. Well, I'm going to get the bus driver and then. Oh, maybe, for fuck's sakes, mate! Don't can, get the bus driver. Kick you off. <laughs> can you phone the police? Yeah, I'll I'll do that. What are you talking about, Stevie? Thanks, mate. Craig, no. you handled that perfectly, mate. That's the, that's it. You did the right thing, mate. You you had that pervert locked up. Again. <laughs> <laughs> the kid's mom could have died. He's doing the thing. Her brother comes along and takes custody of him, but he doesn't want to like like uh, let his you know believe his mom's dead. Ain't coming back in the ground. <laughs> Right, I want to try one more now, and then that's it then. This is that episode done, all right? One more dead quick one. What pervy thing you got now? No, no, it's not pervy. Craig, Kate, it's another one for you now, Craig. Hello. Right, Kate, you're, so you're the boss of a company, right? You're in, char- you're in charge of this company, right? And you've got... It's snowing outside and the roads are really bad, and uh, people are going to start... Call- your staff are going to start calling up saying that they're not going to be able to make it into work. Okay, so... You're the boss, and you, you, you've like, what? What company is it first? We need a company, like a delivery service. Uh, Van Tills. Yeah, like, um, like uh, McAllen, uh, McAllen Delivery. Movers. Yeah, McAllen Movers. Yeah, it's McAllen Movers Limited. All right. Hurry up! The lines are busy. All right. So, Craig, answer the phone. Hello. Ah, is that Craig? Speaking. All right, Craig. Uh, it's uh, it's John here, mate. Uh, I'm I'm just ringing to say uh, I I won't be able to come in today. The uh, I can't get out the house. The roads are bad. There's snow all up the driveway and uh, cars covered in snow. So uh, yeah, I won't be able to make it in today, mate. Uh, sorry, uh, I need it in. I I can't, mate. I I've just said I there's no way I can get out. I, I won't be able to drive to work today. I can't drive. Well, we're we're short staffed. I'm sorry, but we're gonna have to need it in. You, you, what's up? You don't sound too happy. I'm, I'm good. I'm good, thanks. I'm just, I just think we, I, we need it in. I, I'm, I'm gonna, sorry. I'm gonna get there then. I just told you I can't get out because my car well, is tell, full of snow and my we'll driveway. I'll tell you what. You just go and sort yourself out. You know, clean up your drive and do what you need it's to. It's gonna do take me then... two hours. I got to do that. I can't, and the roads are bad. How, how am I supposed to drive when the roads are bad? What can I do? I'm sure you can drive pretty slow, but I, I do need you there. Well, what if I don't? What if I don't come in? I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to like bring you into the office when you, when you come in. What if I Because I can't. Because I can't get into work. Um, well, that's not my problem. But it's your problem because you're the boss. I've called you to say I won't be able to come in, and you're being a fucking cunt saying I've got to come in now and see the office now. I'll tell you what. If you don't have that fucking attitude, what's your name again? John. <laughs> See, you don't even know me attitude. I work for you for twelve years, John Simmons. So you are, if you have that attitude, then bye. Sort yourself out. Yeah, bye. All right. Is Scott? Is Scott ringing now? Answer the phone. Answer the phone. Come on then. Hello. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's me, man. It's Scott. I, I work in the office there. Oh, thanks, Scott. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get to work, man. I, I'm, like, driving traffic. You've got a problem as well. Listen here, you, 
traffic is like really watch out where you're going for god's sakes look man i can only do like two miles an hour i I'm, i gotta piss i i, I hey fuck off anyways so I, i'm trying to get there man but i think i gotta go back home man this is just too crazy to get here can you uh, cover my shift well, short-staffed anyway. If you can't come here, then you've got no job. Jesus Christ! <laughs> sliding everywhere! No <laughs> problem. Come on, I, I gave you the Secret Santa gift last last year, invite you and the family over, and Jesus Listen, I've just had shit over the phone, okay? I'm not in the fucking mood right now. If you're not going to fucking come here, then you're sacked. Bye-bye. Perfect. That was brilliant, mate. You just lost two members of staff. <laughs> At least I tried to get out. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell. Oh. Right, okay. That's it now, lads. We can wrap it up. I mean, fucking hell. We'll have to do that again in the future. See, Craig, you can do that. Try it. You have to try it with uh, Bertie or Wes or Jeff. Yeah, they, oh. fucking hell. They'd be funny at that. <laughs> right, so anyway, before we go... We should uh, let everybody know that they can find us on Twitter, at Mess Hall Podcast. On Facebook, just type in Majors Mess Hall and you'll find us. Instagram, same as Twitter, at Mess Hall Podcast. You can email us, um, podcast at MajorsMessHall.com. Send us an email, tell us where you're listening from. We are also available on, Scott? Every Friday night, 8 o'clock Eastern, Jokes and Jams uh, radio app. Uh, and at the same time, eight o'clock Eastern, we are on a seven six five live radio. And uh, uh, you know, we—if you made it this far, if this is your first episode that you've ever listened to, maybe it was because of uh, you heard it from friends. Maybe it's because you've seen that we had Jeffrey Wiseman on with us. We really appreciate it. And by this time, we've we've got eighty hours. In the archives, man, that you you may like to listen to also. Great guest. So uh, we appreciate it. And Craig, what's the website? Of what? Fucking hell, of what? Of the fucking Tesco? Obviously, our website, mate. It's www.majormessal.com There you go. And if you go on there and you click on merchandise, you can you'll be taken to uh, our website. That well, it's not our website, but it's a website that hosts our t-shirts. Go on there and buy a Majors Muscle t-shirt. There's a there's a selection there, and the quality is fantastic. So, get on there and order a t-shirt. So so stay tuned for episode eighty-one, which is the Halloween special that's coming up. Uh, we got Dick Johnson coming on, and it's going to be absolutely amazing. So, stay tuned, guys. See you then. Mahala. Uh, we'll see you in the future. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I see what you did there. <laughs>